Welcome to the Twinkle Training Teachers and ECTs podcast. My name's Simeon. I was a teacher for eight years. I was a maths lead and RE lead, but the absolute highlight of my career for me was getting to work with trainee teachers and helping them begin their careers on the right foot. Today, we've got a very special show for you with two special guests. Today's show is going to be for any ECTs who are getting ready for September, but especially ECTs in Key Stage 2, because we are being joined by two members of the Twinkle Key Stage 2 team. So I'm really excited to hear what their top tips are for September. Just before we dive in, I'm going to remind you of our social media handles. So you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash twinkletrainyteachers. We're on Twitter at trainytwinkle, all one word. On Instagram, instagram.com slash twinkletrainyteachers. Pinterest is the same, pinterest.co.uk slash twinkletrainyteachers. And you can find us on TikTok at twinkletrainyteachers. Again, it's all one word. And this podcast will be going out on most podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple Music. Okay, so it's the end of the year. If you're a trainee, you've likely finished your course by now, so congratulations. And you might be already thinking about September. You might be thinking about what it will be like to be an ECT, what you can do to get ready. And we have two special guests here today to help us with that. So we've got, first, I'll introduce Dan from the Key Stage 2 team. Can you tell us a bit about you, Dan? Hi, yeah, I'm uh, I'm Dan. I have uh, worked in every year a group of Key Stage Two, taught for about five years, um, and was an ECT mentor for for a couple of those years too. Fantastic, and we also have Molly here with us. Hi, Molly. Hi, I'm Molly. Um, I was a teacher for five years before joining Twinkle. I worked from year four to year six, and got to work with a number of student teachers as well. So just before we dive into getting ready for September, could you tell us a quick bit about what your team does to support teachers in Key Stage 2? Yeah, so we have lots of things uh, available to help Key Stage 2 teachers. Um, probably the, the best tool we have is our Becky emails. Um, so if you're not aware of the Becky emails, they come every Sunday. Um, and to make sure you get the Key Stage 2 version, it's really important that you choose the Key Stage 2 uh, career on site. So there's often pop-ups that ask you for which year you work in. And if you select Key Stage 2, that means you'll get tailored content uh, specific from the Key Stage 2 team uh, to help you with your teaching career. So that's really, really important. Um, like the ECT team, we have lots of social media channels. Um, so we have Facebook and Facebook groups. Uh, we have an Instagram page. We have our TikTok channel. We also have our Twitter um, and they are all Twinkle Key Stage 2 to find those on the handles. Uh, and in those groups, we share lots of kind of funny teacher memes. We have news articles from our digest. We have resources available, everything you kind of need uh, to help you be the best Key Stage 2 teacher you, you can be. Yeah, and I would say summer's a perfect time to sort of sign up, test the waters and try a few questions in the group before things get really busy. Uh, now, since it is summer, some people get really keen and some people don't want to do anything to do with school over summer. And I kind of understand both viewpoints. But how important do you feel it is for trainees and ECTs to take a rest over summer? So I think what we have to start with is every everyone is different. 
for some people it works that you do do prep over the summer but for others it's important that you get that rest and I think it's just a part of the ECT journey is learning how you work best as a teacher doesn't mean one is better than the other um I would say that you need to enjoy your achievement the you know the trainee teacher years are hard whether you've done a three-year course a PGCE a skit however you've got to that point of gaining your QTS that's a massive massive achievement and it's important that you go and enjoy that time because you're never going to get as much free time um, between that period but also six weeks is a long time and for some of us I know um, I get that like itching feeling about week four when I'm sort of ready to go back being a teacher is such a full-on job that you get ready you're like come on let's go like let's get back into it so don't I would say don't fixate too much on school but at the same time just be as prepared as you can be for September and that can include a number of different tasks really that you can do but definitely make sure you give yourself at least a couple of weeks where you can just fully not even think about it and just fully enjoy your holidays. Yeah, I I agree with that completely. So once ECTs have had a good break, what do you think they can do to get ready for September? Yeah, so um, like Molly said, I think the the school holidays can be a long time and I think it is really useful to get stuff ready for September so you're not kind of playing catch up. The typical thing that a lot of ECTs love to do is to get their classroom ready over summer and, and set up those displays and I think they're really useful. So if you can get in kind of a couple of weeks before school breaks up, just to get used to the school and 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 the children and and the and the environment and you know get your the bones of your classroom set up you know at the back end the paper the board and the titles that can really just save you so much time in September where it's going to be hectic you're going to have a lot of things thrown at you and actually that's just one job you've ticked off the list that that needs doing um so that's that's really useful um me personally I would say look over look at the school's long term plan over summer and get an idea of what you're going to be teaching over the year. Doesn't mean you have to plan every lesson and, and get things sorted, but just so you've got an idea of what's going to come when, and you can maybe think, I'm not that strong in that area. I might need to do a bit of research, and some of the great times to do that because you've got a bit more free time. As well as that, I'd look at the school's medium-term plans. So look at Autumn 1 and have a, a deeper look at what you'll be teaching in some in Autumn 1. And you can really start to do a bit of prep for that. So you could maybe have a look at Twinkle Planet and, and get some of those lesson packs uh, for what you'll be teaching and, and decide whether you need to do anything else to add to that or change it to suit your class. But having that having that research of Autumn 1 will be really, really useful. It's really useful to think about what you're going to have that's not going to change over the year. So like your spelling list, for example, or times table booklets or things like that, you can get them ready kind of in summer and they're going to stay the same no matter what so you know we've got the the booklets on on twinkle that can really help with that you could look at learn and go and set up your class um, your class username so that they're all set up ready to go so if you do get a bit of spare time they could have a little go at the multiplication tables check or, or different games like that the spelling games uh, so little little jobs like that are really good i would say set a goal for the first week or the first month or even the first half term um, and our primary planners are really, really useful for that. They kind of break down each month and each term to to help you set kind of goals that you can achieve and, and reflect on those to see where, see whether you've achieved it. I would also say you can 
obviously your school will have a behavior management strategy that they follow. However, there might be something specific that you would like to do in your class. And I would say when you start in September, that first week in particular, you want to set a sort of precedent in your classroom. And one of the big things is that behavior management, you know, that you want to get your kids off the bat ready, you know, this is how you run it. And so whether your school do house points, or whether it's a case that you would like to do some form of um, reward system in your classroom, you can just have a think about it, you don't necessarily have to get anything ready, but maybe have a look at different things and have a think about what you potentially would want to do. And then my other piece of advice, I would say, is to set up your ECT evidence folder, whether you have got one online, whether you've got one in person. From from my experience from back in the day when it was an NQT, I did my NQT across two different um, schools. One was a folder, one was all online. However, I liked, I worked well with paper physical copies. So over the summer, I remember I set up my folder, really simple, just a binder with each teacher standard, you know, like a little little thing of each teacher standard in there. And then at the end of each week, I would put one piece of evidence or try to put one piece of evidence in each standard. And that way, at the end of each term, I had a bank of evidence instead of that mad rush when you're about to have your observation, and you're getting it all ready. So I would say that's quite a useful thing to get ready for September. Fantastic. Do you think there are any tips, especially for key stage two teachers? Is there anything key stage two teachers need to consider when they're setting up their classrooms? Yeah, I think um, for me, it was all about the flow of my classroom. So thinking about where the transition points within a lesson or where the transition points within a a day and how how are you going to manage that? So for me, it was always the trays. You know, I used to use trays for a lot of books and, you know, personal items. So Rather than putting all the trays in, you know, one small area where 30 children are going to, you know, run across and cram into it and, and you've got potential kind of injuries or, or fallouts from that, just thinking about, right, can I spread this out? Can I, you know, put these in different zones or use different colours to my advantage here? It might not look as aesthetically pleasing, but actually it's going to save you a lot of headaches in terms of working your, your kind of transition times between those tasks or between those lessons. So that's a real kind of top tip I would I would say and just looking kind of for the pitfalls in your classroom a little bit you know children are really really smart they're going to find areas to to kind of exploit you a little bit and, and have a talk with their mates and, and try and get out of work so for me it was always the bin that my classic line was where's the bin because you know you know children are going to be meeting the friends they'd sharpen the pencils and having a 10 minute chat and actually if the bin's right next to my desk or right next to the whiteboard where I'm going to be teaching I can monitor that really well as opposed to like at the back of the room where you forget about them a little bit. Oh, that's a good tip. Do you have any other classroom setup tips? My best tip is always have the children facing forward. And, you know, different schools work differently. And obviously, if your room doesn't accommodate it, it's difficult. But if you can have all the children facing either you or the whiteboard or wherever they want you want them to be looking, it just saves you so much headache in terms of getting their attention and maintaining their attention during the lesson. You know, the tables, the island tables where children are all facing each other, they were just a nightmare for me. And I just used to <laughs> dread a classroom where I would have, uh, have to have island tables because I just thought that the children are going to be so distracted and they're talking to their friends or, you know, kicking each other under the tables or anything like that. 
Um, so I would always, always try and have all the children facing forwards, typically in rows, but yeah, however that works for you. And just having as many learning aids as possible available, I think you can never have too many handouts and help sheets for children. And, and again, Twinkle is great for that because we've got, you know, everything you can you possibly need to help you teach. Having those handy so that, you know, if a child does need that in your lesson, it's there and it's ready and you're not having to either go and print it and, and, and disrupt that lesson or in worst case, sorry, not have anything at all to help them. So, um, yeah, they'd be two kind of top tips for me. I was going to say as well, with, with carrying on with that resources, I saw a fabulous video on Twinkle Resources TikTok the other day um, where they made a pouch in the back of their exercise book with just like sticking the back page on and then stapling it. And it ends up being like a little pocket that you create because then all those resources are sort of like loose around everywhere. So if there's something like a hundred square certain like you know year five if you're working in year five or year six they're like the statutory spellings you can shove them all in there um we were also saying like when just thinking about setting up a classroom your working walls most schools have working walls now mainly in maths and english sometimes all topics but if you have certain topics like maths and english that you know are going to be changing sometimes on a daily basis, make sure they're the ones that you can access the most. I'm 5'1". I can't reach those really high classroom displays. So I always make sure that the working walls are ones that I have easy access to. And then I think two of my favourite top tips, two of which, no, one of which I learned off TikTok. One, I don't know where I learned it, but I love it anyway. One of them is if you have, you know, the classic classrooms that have big windows and the problem is you've laminated all these beautiful resources and then you can't see any of them because there's a glare on the resource. If you buy matte spray paint that's clear and spray over your boards once you've laminated them, the shine disappears which is an incredible tool and I just love that. Also, if you have children that have particular eyesight difficulties, that's also a really good one that helps them see. And then my other top tip is stick a penny underneath your staple gun because it is the perfect size difference so that when you, you know, you're sticking up your backing or you're sticking up anything on the wall with your staple gun, you'll thank yourself when you come to take it all down, it's really easy to get the staples out of the wall because they're in enough. It's going to hold the stuff on the wall, but not in so much that you're going to rip the backing when you take them out. So that would be my number one. Like I do it for every classroom I've ever gone in. Top tip, penny under a staple gun. Oh, I wish I'd known that one. <laughs> I really do. I was always trying to do like an angled staple gun. I mean, those are really good tips. I'll, I'll add to, I'll add to, especially with the displays, I think it's really important we consider what the children can actually see because quite often we have a room full of lovely things, but they're actually really high up and an adult can see them walking around the room. But are they in the eye line of the children? And it, the one that was the best for me was rather than have a working wall, you can have a working wall, but I liked a working washing line. So I had this this piece of string in my classroom and 
if I was giving an input, I'd ask my TA just to do notes of it on a big piece of flip chart paper in coloured pens. Then I could tear that off, hang it up on the working washing line, and we had our week's work there, and I could very easily switch it out. Or if a child did a really good piece of work, it could go straight up and, you know, nice self-esteem boost for them, and it gave everyone else a model. This is a good one. This is what a good one looks like. So. I like that. Um, right. Now, I, I was a year three teacher, so this is a really interesting one. I'd love to get your view on this. What do you think are the main things teachers need to be aware of in terms of transition from key stage one to key stage two? Yeah. Yeah. Tricky question. Uh, I think I was I was year three for, for a couple of years and, and I started by saying that I love year three. I think year three is the best year, especially if you're yeah, ECT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially if you're an ECT, it's, it's such a lovely year to start with. That nice blend of sweet and funny, but you know, but still mature enough to to have a nice laugh with you and a joke. So I, I really, really like year three. I think it depends if they come from a new school or the same school. You know, if they've come from a new school, that that transition is going to be probably be a bit harder. You know, it's a new environment. You know, new teachers, um, new new faces in the class possibly. So uh, whereas if they're at the same school and they're moving up to year three. You know, hopefully they know the teachers a little bit. They obviously know the surroundings, so that really helps with that kind of that move up. But I think for me, they just need to grow up so fast. And I think when you first start a year three year, it feels like they're really, really, really young. You like can't believe that you know you have to teach them times tables and spellings and all the rest of it. But um, they, yeah, they do need to kind of grow up fast, and it is it is fast paced coming up to key stage two. Uh, but I think it's important for teachers and for ECTs to remember you you need to teach them that independence. You know, they're not going to get that without you showing how to do it and giving the time for them to do it, but also not kind of mothering them, I guess, or or overdoing it with them and doing it for them. They need to learn how to do it themselves, and that. Your year four teacher will thank you heaps and bounds for that. Um, it might be difficult for you, but um, yeah, that's really, really important for me. Yeah, and I think, I don't know if you ever heard this phrase, Dan, but I think there's kind of a year three dip, I was always told, where children do regress a bit when they come into year three and then they start building the independence again and it's our job to help them do that. Okay, so how might things change for students moving into upper key stage two? I would say upper key stage two is a fantastic, it's actually, so we've gone from Dan's favourite year to my favourite. I love upper key stage two. You won't find me in many other places in the school other than upper key stage two, but they do, there's a sense of intensity when it comes to upper key stage two with like curriculum wise, but also with the children in in themselves. I think when they get to year five and year six, I think beforehand, maybe year four as well, the children love all subjects. They might, you know, not join in as much in some, but I think they want to be fantastic at everything. But when they're hitting that 10 years old, 11 year old age, they're learning that, oh, I might not actually be as good at English as I am at maths or whatever it is, or they don't like PE as much or music as much because they're more self-conscious because they're growing up and they're, you know, the pastoral care of upper key stage two is considerably different than it is in other year groups. And so I will say that is something just to remember 
as a lower key stage two teacher as well, is giving all that positive praise. And if you're noticing a certain child is falling out of love with a particular subject, just, you know, really encouraging them. And also for upper key stage two teachers is encouraging them with maybe like a bit of your own story. I always say to my classes, I know I'm not as good at English, but you can trust me anything I you know, maths is my thing, English isn't. And actually as a teacher, they see that and they're like, oh, that's okay then. She's all right. And she she may not be as good at one subject as another. Um, so yeah, I would say that. And also I think as a whole in key stage two, but really in upper key stage two, the difference as a teach, they see you differently as a teacher. So in key stage one, they love you. You're basically like another parent to most of them they absolutely love you and they will hug you and they will tell you how much they love you in key stage two, particularly as they get older, it's not a a parent thing. They just, re- they, it's more of a, you're their teacher and they respect you. So it's not that love. It's more like a respect thing. So, you know, you, you have to, it's just, I think it's just important that you know that like, you're not going to have a class of year sixes tell you all the all day, <laughs> I love you. I think you're amazing because that's a more of a year one thing. But in year six, it's if you show them the respect and like build that relationship with them, it's a lovely year group to be in. And I know some people are afraid of it because they're funnier, they're wittier, they, they're quicker. You know, you can have that bit of humor with them. And that I know for some people frightens them a little bit. But also at the same time, you build that respect, you build that relationship. It's a lovely year group to be in. Well, let's let's finish with this year group then. So what about teachers who are moving into year six? And I've got to say, I never taught year six. And I, I've always found that I found it a bit harder to work with year sixes um, when I did take groups and things just because they were so sharp and quick witted and on it. And I, I was kind of used to as you said, the more key stage one thing of they're just happy to be around you and they're, they're really into having a teacher work with them. Yeah, definitely. Um, they, could, they could definitely be uh, quick and witted and sometimes smarter than you, which is which is a little bit scary. But um, no, I think I, I, I agree with Molly 100%. You know, year six is, it seems scary to people, but it is it's fantastic. It really is fantastic. And you, you build such a close bond with them. I think going kind of through SATs together, you come out at the end of it and you've really got this really close bond with that class. Uh, almost like you've been through this kind of almost like a hardship together a little bit. And it, and it just kind of, when you do the lever song, you're at the back of the room crying your eyes out as well, just because you're going to miss them, even though you've been pulling your hair out all year with them. But yeah, in terms of moving into year six, what to be aware of, I think uh, it sounds bad, but the clock's ticking from day one. I think, you know, you don't want to put pressure on children, um, but you also need to be aware that you've, you're on a time limit and every kind of day counts and, and it's almost making the most of each day. And that doesn't mean, you know, shoving tests down children's throats or, or kind of hammering them with work. It's just about being clever with how you do that. And I think, you know, little and often is often the best to keep children topped up with that knowledge and, and help them to not forget you know, those processes. So, you know, 10 minutes of arithmetic in the morning or 10 minutes of grammar uh, after break or, you know, 10 minutes of reading questions, short burst reading questions after lunch. They're going to help you so much in the long run when you come to, you know, test time because you're not going to have to reteach how to do, you know, multiplying fractions or whatever it might be. They're going to have that drip fed to them over the year and you can focus on the real big teaching points within your lessons. 
and I think it's really important to not pass your worries to the children. You know, it's, you're going to get to November and you're going to feel like, oh my goodness, how am I going to get these children through SATs? I've got, you know, two children who have passed our practice. It's it, this is this is awful, but they do get there. They, they, you know, and, and teachers will probably say that to you. More experienced teachers might say that to you, but they do. They it just kind of the, the switch gets clicked, and then it's it's they go into kind of overdrive mode and they just fly come come the test time. So it's really important not to try and pass your concerns onto them because at the end of the day, the ones who worry the most are going to worry even more. And the ones who kind of aren't that bothered are still not going to be that bothered. So you're only kind of causing the, the worriers more problems. So um, yeah, it's difficult to do, but that, that's definitely um, definitely a, a top tip for me. I was going to say to add on to that worry as well, be mindful that the parents, particularly if it's a first child that they've ever had to go through year six, the transition from year six to year seven is nerve wracking for the parents. I've had, because I've worked in private and state in year six and dealt with a lot of the 11 plus movement as well, um, which is very intense and a little bit earlier than SAT. It's the same across the board. You get these worried parents and obviously they're passing their worry on to children at home. So you don't want to do that in class. You know, you really want to eliminate it. And so if you know you've got a nervous parent, just have that in the back of your mind and be open to chat with them. It might be that they had a really difficult experience from going from primary to secondary themselves. And so therefore you just have to take that into account as the teacher. And I know that might seem scary, particularly if you're 22 years old and you're having to comfort a parent about the transition, but it does, it's part, it's part of the job. And that's why the culture of the class that you set up is important. You know, these year sixes, they're older, they're ready, really, by the middle of the year, they're so ready to move on to that new challenge of secondary school. But if you set that culture of quite a relaxed, calm classroom, yes, year sixes are already crazy. And most year six teachers are as well as one myself. We're all nuts. That's why we're there. But if you set that culture of we're all good, we're all okay, and we're going to get through this together. Right from the beginning, that passes on to the parents, that passes on to the kids. And overall, it's just at the end of it, it all comes nicely together, all roundabout circle, beautiful. And it's just, yeah, as Dan said, at the end, you're sat there, even though three weeks earlier, you were, you know, crying because they were causing you stress when they leave because you know you're their last teacher before they go off to secondary school it's so emotional it's the oddest thing but it feels like you're giving away your children it's so bizarre oh that's really nice yeah i, I guess that's something i've never experienced right this has been so interesting but i've got one last question for you what are just your best tips for setting yourself up for a successful teaching year Oh, right. So for me, and again, I think this is the point that Molly made earlier. I think everyone's different and every teacher's different. And just because, you know, someone in your team or someone in your phase is doing something doesn't mean it work, it'll work for you. But for me personally, I always like to get as much done as I can in my spare time so that when I'm kind of teaching in the week, I can focus on my lessons and I can focus on the teaching and I've not got to worry about, you know, printing off this or, or filling in this form. So I think just being really smart with your time um, and especially, I suppose, ECTs, using that time wisely, getting as much kind of prepped for yourself uh, in the half term or, or or in the time you've got because we've all been teachers. We know it's tricky. You know, it's, it is not a 
nine to three job, you know, you are not, you are going to have really, really tough days where there's going to be a lot of work to do. And yes, you need your downtime. Of course you do. And, and, you know, you need to make sure your downtime is, is valued, but, you know, getting yourself as ready as you can be so that your working week is really as good as it can be is really important. And then probably the other top tip for me would be get really good at moving around your classroom and life marking. I know when I first started as a as a NQT, I was stuck to the front of the class because I, you know, I was terrified to leave and I wanted everyone to look at me. And, and you know, I think as you you learn as you go along that the best teachers are always on the move and they're always looking and they're always checking. Um, and live marking's you know really important for that. I think if you could teach and move and and keep an eye on what children are doing. And also help yourself with kind of the marking element, so you've not got you know ninety, one hundred and twenty books at the end of the day. It's just going to make your life so much easier. So that was the best thing I learned over my time teaching was to get good at moving around the room and get good at, at life marking. And yeah, it just kind of it just helps with everything so much. You get a better idea of where your children are at. You're you're saving yourself time at the end of the day. Yeah, it's just it's for me. That's that's really important. And the last tip I would have would be that there's always another day. Every teacher have has lessons where it goes absolutely horribly wrong, or it might be that you just need an extra ten minutes before break to you know finish it off. Or you're doing your live marking, for example, and everyone's got it horribly wrong. Cut your losses and pick it back up tomorrow. Because again, something that I learn is trying to catch up and and finish that off and you know do it not the best you can do and then that spills into the next lesson the next lesson and it just kind of it's a domino effect and you kind of whole day is then put on the back foot and it comes to three o'clock three thirty, and you've got a massive pile of books to mark and all of them are not as good quality as you normally get because you've been rushing and you're short for time so just cut your losses pick it up again tomorrow fresh mind you've got a clear head the children have got a clear head and don't ruin the rest of the day for kind of one lesson. And then just following on from that, I would say as an ECT, the beauty is that you do get a little bit more time, a little smidge of time in the week to do some ECT stuff. And I would say try and stick as much to that ECT block that you get off as your ECT block. It's very easy to go, oh, well, I'll catch up on marking here and I'll do that here. But I would say go observe as many teachers as possible and ask as many questions as possible. You will never in your career get to observe, really get to observe teachers other than when you become like a head of a department or a head of a key stage when you're observing to give them feedback. You're not going to get that chance to go and look and watch other teachers. So do as much of that as possible and ask as many questions the classic if you don't know how to use the printer slash photocopier just ask instead of going oh no it's fine because you're going to spend 20 minutes looking at this thing that no one expects you to know how to use properly whereas if you ask the teacher that's next door they will be able to show you within a couple of minutes so just i know I know it caused me massive anxiety about asking for that help, but it is so important. You have to remember that you're under that ECT bracket for the reason of that you're new to this. No one's expecting you to walk in from day one and be the most incredible, already put together teacher. And yeah, just ask questions. If you're unsure, ask questions. Yeah, completely agree. And there's never really a bad lesson if you're reflective. 
If you can reflect on how the lesson went and take something from it and do it differently next time, you'll always improve and get better. I think my last tip would be to plan with your workload in mind. So try not to plan three heavy marking tasks on the same day or on a day when you have playground duty or on the day where there's going to be the staff meeting and you won't have time to mark. Um, Think about tasks that could be peer marked. We can do that in key stage two or tasks where the children can mark their own from answers on a sheet or on the board, you know, those kind of things. Think about things like, do I need a written task every day or could we do a reading comprehension? Could we do some drama? Is there another way for them to learn this? And just try and take some of the pressure off yourselves. I hope you all have a brilliant break over the summer and a lovely time setting up your classrooms. Please do feel free to share any classroom setup photos with us on social media. We love them. And please also check out the Key Stage 2 team. You can you can follow more than one Twinkle team. You can be a Twinkle ECT and a Twinkle Key Stage 2 and you get double the advice and double the help. So I would really recommend that. Um, thank you so much for coming on, Dan and Molly. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for Enjoy having us. Enjoy your summer, guys. Yeah. Bye. Have a good okay. summer. Bye, everyone. Bye.